got it plugged in at City State Radio. This is the show where we talk about all kinds of urban affairs issues, design issues, city policy, politics, what is happening on the block in the neighborhood. We talk a lot about cities around the nation. We talk a whole lot about our own um, great uh, city, Louisville. My name's Pat Smith. I know we got. I know we got at least one illustrious co-host out there on the line, Patrick Henry. What's what's going on with you out there? Nothing. Just uh, hang hanging in the burbs as usual. Got out of the house briefly this morning, which was kind of nice. Uh, you know, got me out of the suburbs. But uh, where'd you go? I'm here. I went to New Albany. Oh wow! The, the Good stuff. Side. Good what's stuff. Always happening doing? in New Albany. I went over to a project, uh, but every time I'm over there, I'm just blown away by like just the activity, what they're doing, um, you know, two weighing streets, mm-hmm. uh, you know, keeping them clean. It looks good. Uh, you know, there's a ton of like restaurants, you know, it's a little town. Uh, it's obviously not nearly as big as, you know, dealing with say a downtown Louisville, but it's just such a sweet downtown and people seem to, they love it. They care for it. The mayor seems to care for it. Um, good, good vibes every time I'm over there. Yeah. I wonder, uh, I mean, yeah, that's uh, the Brooklyn, that's Louisville's Brooklyn over there. <laughs> downtown Louisville, Manhattan, New Albany is our Brooklyn. Yeah. It, it, uh, by all accounts, just uh, the New Albany is popping off. With uh, all of these, uh, you know, two-way street, getting getting rid of the one-ways, all these businesses. How, how the street life seem? You have people out, people around, stuff going on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing that is, it seems active, you know? I mean, even, I've been over there multiple times, you know, during COVID. And uh, it just seems to not have suffered in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's kind of that area, it's their kind of, you know, restaurant district and bar district and stuff like that. And I think they've got so much sort of spill out onto the street kind of restaurants because yeah. they have broad, big, big, broad sidewalks, tree coverage, mm-hmm. um, you know, the street, you know, Puma is always talking about like how that street fabric has to be just right, you know, yeah. uh, and it is, man. It is just right over there. Plus, uh, you know, I was talking to uh, one of the guys that works with the mayor, and he said, you know, um, we just we want people to come home at the end of their work day and be, uh, you know, in a clean downtown and feel like it's clean, it's taken care of. And if you can do that, then your citizens will care about it in a way. And mm. and. I just loved that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I'd lo- I'd, like, we need to like. I think maybe we need to litigate. We need to litigate this word "clean." Um, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, I, I could see, yeah, right. I could see some parties uh, using the word "clean" to to mean some some things that are maybe a, a little less inclusive. It, 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 I yeah. got you. Yeah. Well, and I'll just say it's it's. There's no weeds. There's trash can stuff thrown in the. Tr- you know, that's, it's like that's a things good use just taken care of, ma- yeah. maintained. Not like clean, meaning we, we can't have those undesirable people. Oh, no, no, no. Whatever. No. No. <laughs> and we're going to get into that. Care of it. We're going to get a little bit into the, some, of, some of those issues later in this episode as we talk about um, ordinances around homeless um, encampments. Uh, that's always a big issue ahead of the Kentucky Derby, which is coming up here in Louisville, a big sort of um, festival. Uh, you know, I guess like sort of, you know, thinking about the Derby in Louisville, I mean, it's not a stretch to say that 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 the derby is is louisville's kind of mardi gras you know it's that event a lot of city leaders have banked on you know in terms of uh making money through hotels and through tourism but before we get off new albany um i think the big question for new albany is are they going to be able to see the fireworks from the thunder the derby festivals thunder over louisville undisclosed secret pop-up location which have been uh they're no longer a secret through a pretty funny story but they're going down at caesar's southern indiana in elizabeth indiana will the people of new albany be able to see those fireworks from caesar's 
<laughs> no, but I think they'll see it from uh, Shawnee Park. I don't even know where Elizabeth, Indiana is. Like, so it, that, that's it's it's on that. It's like sort of across the river from Shawnee. Is that that's what you're saying? Well, I mean, I think um, one of the locations is Shawnee Park, right? And you know, oh yeah, it's it's, it's pretty. You're right. It almost is like being in Jeffersonville across from Waterfront Park, right? Yeah. I mean, it's ma- yeah. maybe not quite that close, but pretty darn close. Yeah. So, yeah. So Shawnee Park will be kind of New Albany's uh, uh, opportunity to see <laughs> this, this story. I love this. I don't know if this guy, uh, Michael Moeller uh, on Twitter, uh, I think it, he may have been the one that, that, that found it, which is great. But yesterday morning, I mean, just to back up a little bit, the Derby Festival people, I've been trying to figure out how to do, you know, this big annual event that kind of kicks off the Derby Festival season, which is Thunder Over Louisville, you know, which, you know, there's a little bit before that, you got the Pegasus Parade, and then you come into the Thunder Over Louisville weekend where there's war machines flying at low altitudes overhead, and then there's this supposedly... I think it's kind of like the world's best hamburger, you know, kind of a statement, but it's the world's biggest fireworks show. I don't know that anyone, you know, is actually testing the levels of, um, you know, toxic chemicals that get released into the sky um, to, to really verify that this is the, the biggest one. But hilariously, like, I guess they still had to file permits, which wound up on the city's sort of open permitting site, which this is, you know, a, a modern city is going to, you know, show what's going around town on, on the permitting site, who's pulling what permits for what kinds of building or projects. This includes special events, including fireworks. So this guy tweeted it out and sort of like uh, torpedoed this whole secret uh, <laughs> plan of the Derby Festival organizers uh, to have to spread the love of, of the fireworks around the city in secret locations. I know a lot of people have been sort of like having some trepidation around this because they've got pets or they go to bed early, or they just you know, don't want, you know, traffic or gawkers, you know, out, out in the street or whatever. They were, people were worried about, oh my gosh, what are these secret locations going to be? Um, and hilariously, this got dropped um, on Twitter before the festival people uh, were able to get on top of it or figure it out. So, uh, I, you know, I mean, I guess their thought was that the locations were secret was so people didn't congregate and spread COVID, right? Is, is that, that was the rationale there? That's what my understanding was. I mean, the whole point of not doing it on the waterfront was so that you didn't have a ton of people getting together and potentially creating a super spreader event. So the idea is, like, don't tell people exactly where they're at. I'm not saying I agree with that method necessarily because of so many people are worried about it and all that. But, uh, But, yeah, I think it was just to not have a bunch of people gathering. Here's the question. If he didn't tweet, if he hadn't tweeted it out, do you think business first would have released it? Yeah. People are <laughs> like, I saw a great tweet um, from, I think somebody from that publication. There's so many great writers there. And I, I can't remember if it was somebody there or somebody from the courier or they were like, yeah, this is the site that they go to, to find out when new restaurants are opening, you know, in neighborhoods yeah. for those kinds of stories. And anybody, just so listeners know, which I assume anyone listening is already involved in the planning profession, so they already know. (laughs) But you can go on Louisville's, um, Louisville Metro's Acela site, the public can, and see any project plans that are submitted. So, So yeah, that's that's how they figured it out. That, yeah, just totally. And like, it was funny because just people on very, like, I saw somebody on next door talking about, like, oh man, people on social media were sharing unauthorized information. And it's like, this is not unauthorized. This is, uh, this is, you know, this is what is meant by open data. This is like public information um, that should be shared with the public. Yeah, there's journalists looking at that every day. So if that guy didn't tweet it out, um, I'm, I'm sure there was probably journalists already trying to write this story while that guy tweeted it out. Um, and got a hundred retweets, uh, and it just sort of spread all over the internet yesterday, which was great. But those locations are, uh, Bowman Field, uh, Iroquois Park, the Expo Center over by me, um, and then in, in the Schnitzelberg neighborhood, Shawnee Park, as you mentioned, and then as we also were joking about New Albany, the, uh, Caesars, Southern Indiana, that's not a salad restaurant, that's, uh, I think a casino, but... 
yeah, just it was great to see sort of. If I was the Derby Festival people, I just like would have owned this, and I would have been like, yeah, this is the announcement. This is when we're announcing, and but they didn't. They totally were like, oh no, like we, we it's, it's supposed to be secret. <laughs> it gave me a chuckle yesterday morning. That's that's all I know. Do you think they knew it would get out, or do you think? I mean, like, is it just like, we're going to keep this secret, not knowing that everybody knows that there's access to this permitting process? Here's the quote. Uh, here's the quote, because uh, um, Billy Coben, Kirby Adams, great Courier-Journal reporters, uh, had a little fun with this on, on, on the Courier-Journal yesterday. Here's, here's the quote from, I guess, the um, Derby Festival organizer or head or whatever. The Kentucky Derby Festival is aware that information regarding the Thunder Over Louisville fireworks locations has been shared publicly. We knew that this was a possibility as we got closer to the show date. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's too good. Because people, I mean, it's, it's so good because people were like, kind of like, I don't want a surprise fireworks show in my neighborhood. And, and it was kind of like, you know, I mean, I don't know. It, these are big fireworks shows. They have massive industrial military grade fireworks here people don't want that next to their house necessarily so i thought it was kind of a weird idea i think a lot of people around the city thought it was a weird idea and it, it was kind of funny to see this go down like this it probably would have been helpful if it was kind of like the parameters of where the types of places that these things would go off in what they would be like so people didn't think they're just going to pop up in like mid-city malls parking lot or something like that and i mean yeah these are pretty large sites where they're going to be at. I mean, totally, totally. Well, I mean, well, last well, week, you know, they were bringing that, the, the, the Pegasus Parade, another sort of beginning of the Derby Festival season event type thing. They were bringing it through all the neighborhoods because they didn't want people congregating on Broadway. And it was, you know, in my neighborhood, it was pretty rough. Like it was just, it was just this, you know, some cars with some floats or whatever, like pulling them and literally like almost no one out. It, it was just like, it was, I mean, it was rainy. They probably had something to do with it, but it was just kind of like depressing. It's like, do, do we really need to like spread this out, spread it around? Or can we either not do it or, or, or find something that, I don't know. I, I don't think what they came up with this year, a good effort on their part, but I don't know that it necessarily worked. We'll, we'll see how uh, the fireworks go down. Patrick, can we, were, were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to say a couple things. One, it's hard to do a parade without a parade. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that was just going to be a tough one to pull off, even on the sunniest day. Um, but I'm, I'm curious about on the whole fireworks thing, you know, I'm sure that there's political leanings, right? So if you're sort of left-leaning, there's a, there's probably a lot of like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Um, if you're more right leaning, you know, you probably want it close to your neighborhood, right? So you mm. can see it. <laughs> mm. I'm curious, are they doing, uh, the air show or, or no? The identity politics of fireworks, of major yeah. fireworks shows. No, I, I, I don't know if they're, I imagine the air show is going to be like a two hour thing. I was reading it, something about that. I thought it was in this article from the Courier Journal. It probably is. It starts at three o'clock. Air show is going to be two hours on Thunder Day, beginning at three, and it's going to be a much scaled back. But they're still going to have some pretty interesting things going on. Um, I think most of it's to be watched on. Uh, it says WHAS TV, um, but that is—is is that the only channel that's going to be showing it? Uh, I, I mean, just stand outside. <laughs> yeah, I do go over, you know. You know, having worked downtown for like 19 years, um, sometimes I wouldn't be aware that Derby and stuff was like about to happen until I could hear the jets flying overhead on a, a day or two before Thunder when they were doing their practice runs. And uh, yeah, so I guess last year didn't feel like Derby at all but this one at least when you start hearing the jets it brings back like things are getting started even yeah. if it's skipped back the other thing is i think people who are against it i mean obviously people who have don't want you know are worried about the environmental impact or whatever uh but people with dogs right and then uh folks who suffer from like ptsd from yeah. mm -hmm. you know going to war uh 
are not living crazy. in a war zone. Yeah, I mean, I think that's hard for those folks. Um, getting to the identity politics of fireworks, where it plays out, uh, I always really kind of loved is on 4th of July in Germantown, which is uh, the born and raised come out and start shooting fireworks everywhere, right? When you drive through, you got to roll your windows up. Uh (laughs) And then you have this sort of other group that's sort of moving into that neighborhood, right? So that was always kind of interesting to to witness because I I lived in Germantown for quite a long time, so... Yeah. My friend Kent has a studio building in uh, on Logan Street over in the uh, Shelby Park neighborhood. And standing on the second story deck, you could turn around in 360 degrees. Like You can see different neighborhoods kind of like trying to outdo each other with the fireworks on 4th of July. So you yeah. look over and there's Germantown like with all these fireworks going on and it would die down for a minute and then Shelby Park would start launching stuff. It's actually a pretty entertaining uh, night for sure over there. This, to me, the whole um, fireworks thing, and especially as it revolves around uh, Thunder over Louisville, I think is, is, is really interesting of where Louisville has come um, the, the leadership Louisville has had, um, tr- the, the difficulties with moving forward with progressive policy in the face of tradition and not, much more than tradition, the economic bottom line of, of what city leaders hope tourism is for Louisville. Because on the one hand, you've got city government talking about city-led climate action and Louisville being a part of mitigating and preparing for climate change and being a leader in terms of how the city advances, you know, sort of a green and and equitable policy that recognizes the fact that we have some serious work to do. On the other hand, our city touts, promotes, and uh, just totally is in love with uh, what's a festival that claims to have the largest fireworks display in the world with, with not recognizing or speaking to the reality that fireworks create highly toxic gases and pollutants. They poison the air, they poison the water, the soil. It's toxic to birds, toxic to wildlife, people. Um, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Is it possible that the, the Derby Festival is using environmentally friendly alternatives? I, I, I don't think that that's a thing. I think all these fireworks are pretty toxic for the environment. So, I mean, it's basically a missile full of chemicals and like, how, how are you, how are you leading climate, um, climate action while also having a day where we just burn an enormous amount of toxic chemicals because it's tradition over the river, over the freaking river, the freaking river, like not this year. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's hard to square that sometimes, I think, especially, you know, probably for my, when I think about it, it's even more that like Louisville, because it's in a, this valley and air tends to get trapped here and stuff. And like, it just amplifies the effects mm-hmm. of, of the fireworks. And like, oh, there's been times where I've watched the fireworks from, uh, you know, rooftop or something like that. And you can see the clouds just kind of floating in the valley. Yeah. And it's just like, man, that's a, I hope that nobody down there has any kind of respiratory illnesses or anything like that. But, Oh boy. Well, well, this is going down the, the pop-up fireworks, the, the not so secret, uh, fireworks display. What's it? 9:30 PM this Saturday, Shawnee Bowman field, your park. Um, central here at the Expo Center, and then over at Caesars, Southern Indiana. The hashtag I'm ready movement raises visibility around Asian and Pacific Islander women and their experiences with the Me Too, hashtag Me Too, racial discrimination, war, immigration, and more. It also celebrates the leadership and power of AAPI women in education, business, technology, and politics. Support their efforts by visiting www.imreadymovement.org 
And I probably wasn't supposed to say the hashtags, but, you know. No, it's okay. I think it's good. <laughs> I don't, is the hashtag thing still going? I feel like we don't really talk about hashtags anymore. Is it a hashtag or is it a hashtag? I'm pretty sure it's hash. Hash. Yeah. But the I've hash, never heard hash, hash. I don't know. I don't want to get into I think I, I don't it is a hash it mark. The, um, it's a pound symbol. <laughs> it's a pound. I had one more quick announcement. <laughs> There's a good volunteerism opportunity coming up this Saturday in Old Louisville, just, what, gosh, south of where WXOX Studios headquarters HQ is, University of Louisville Sustainability Council, working closely with the Old Louisville Neighborhood Council, are doing a cool tree planting thing, 9 a.m. this Saturday, April 17th. I think the meetup is uh, at... St. Catherine Street and Garvin Place. There's going to be free food. They're going to be digging some holes uh, through the neighborhood and Galbert, Hill Street, Magnolia, 6th Street, Park, Ormsby, Brook, and Oak, and uh, putting in some, some, some trees. They're going to have donuts, coffee, light breakfast items if you get there a little before 9 a.m., but uh, definitely bring that mask. Definitely keep away from people, but if it's not raining hard, uh, check it out. Uh, th there's more information at um, the University of Louisville Sustainability Council's Facebook page. So a good, a good volunteerism opportunity in the hood for um, you know get some trees that can help suck up some of the pollutants uh, from all of these fireworks that are going to be going down um, later that evening. So you're listening to City State Radio right here on WXOX LP Louisville. We, in this segment, uh, we wanted to talk about homelessness. Oh, before we start that, yeah. can I yeah. ask a question? About, Get in there. Uh, throw some stuff in there that hasn't been thought about yet by any of us. But uh, you were talking about the Courier-Journal, and um, last Friday I went down to uh, the Brennan house and met with our friends from Vital Sites to look at like a possible walking tour downtown for mm -hmm. May for the perambulators. And it's across the street from the Courier Journal building, which just, I guess, a couple of days ago was put out there that it's going to be up for sale. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if what you guys thought about, I mean, there's an institution, wow. the Courier Journal back in its day was like a, a premier news outlet. I mean, it's still great. I'm just saying, at one point, it was, like, one of the best in the country. And, like, you've got this building that kind of represents this, like, legacy for the city that's being put up for sale. And it just seemed – it's it feels weird that that building may someday be something else. Like, and I don't know what it could be, but to know that the newspaper that we've all grown up with is going to be gone, like – I don't know. I just thought it was, it, it seems odd. And I, I was wondering what you guys thought about that. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, they're, mo they're moving staff into the city cafe building. What? Are you serious? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. That was a joke. That wasn't funny. Because <laughs> that's a that small building right funny. there. <laughs> that's been out of business for a minute, right? But yeah. looking, I mean, thinking about the, the, I'm not prepared to talk about, uh, the legacy of the Courier Journal, nor uh, the sale of the building, uh, but we should talk more, uh, maybe about that. And we, I mean, we can talk a little bit now. Just you know, what, what's thinking? I can't remember who said it, and I, I bet it's a funny story of, about who it came from. But you know, like you said, Patrick, the the Courier has been a force um, in American editorial ship, politics reporting, just reporting about every every single you know facet of American life, and especially life here in Louisville. But, you know, back in the day, I think people that were more right-leaning called that building and the area around it Red Square. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be any kind of journalistic kind of operation for the most part back in the day? when? Yeah, because, the, 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 I mean, there's a ton of interesting stories with, you know, the Bingham Sr. And, and what happened with the selling of the newspaper, you know, leading all the way up to the whole, I guess, um, gosh, Gannett, Gannett, however you, you know, pronounce that, USA Today situation. I saw a lot we of also stuff. had two papers at one time, and I think there was that that could have been certainly a part of it. They were competing papers. We had the Louisville Times and the Courier Journal, and certainly that sort of competition I think helps 
that building yeah. itself definitely definitely but but that building the history you know the again you know billy coben and career journal writes a lot of great stuff he had the story what's the what's streamline modern architecture that's the that's the, that was the style of the building is that ringing bells for you guys as as as, as designers streamline modern no it seems feasible i don't know if that i know it exactly <laughs> but when looking at the building i guess that that would make sense i'm just not familiar yeah. with that style it's a, a a precursor to mid-century modern oh man some of these buildings are great kind of like in the a little art deco-y uh, but then sort of yeah. like maybe a transition from Art Deco into uh, mid-century modern stuff. Pretty cool. That makes Beautiful sense. building. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and not to derail like what we really want to talk about. I just was wondering, maybe we have like a, a show focused on some of that stuff because there's a, books and things written about the Courier Journal and people there and all that that would be worth exploring at some point soon. Yeah, definitely. I'd like to flip through some of my uh, Bingham history books and some of the other stuff. And maybe, maybe there's somebody we can get on to talk specifically about that building and, and some of the things that have happened within that building. Um, man, some of the great folks that could have done that, I think, have probably passed away by this point. But there's probably still some old heads around that have some really great stories about, um, about what's up with that building. But uh, I guess moving on to what we plan to talk about, which is the, you know, I, I, loosely this episode, we were kind of thinking about as we prepare for Derby, um, you know, what's up, what's going on, you know, sort of these, how the Derby affects the city, uh, how Derby affects the culture of the city. But one of the big things that comes up every year is this idea of um, clearing out homeless camps and, quote, cleaning up the city uh, ahead of, uh, the Derby Festival and ahead of the tourists coming in. And it looks like, I mean, this is a little bit of an old story, but, you know, a few, a couple, two weeks ago or so, I guess, it looked like, uh, three weeks ago, it looked like sort of the, the, the police kind of made a gaffe against this um, ordinance from what? Was this 2018 18. ordinance? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's supposed to be what three full weeks of notice before a a homeless encampment gets cleared out. It looks like that did not happen on February 19th, and this is is interesting. And we got some council people that are on top of this. Uh, council person Jacory Arthur is very outspoken on this issue in terms of protecting houseless people, in terms of doing better by houseless people. Uh, Bill Hollander is uh, helping to um, co-sponsor. Uh, some work that that um, that Councilman Jacory would like to see happen in terms of strengthening this. But, you know, with this 2018 ordinance, and this is like so many things I see in Louisville where we get kind of a progressive or semi-progressive ordinance in, and then you don't, you don't see it actually get implemented or people just ignore it, whether it's the tree ordinance or whether it's this ordinance or some other kind of ordinance. It's like there's some way to circumvent what we decided to do as a city and people just do their own thing anyway and then there's no repercussions. Like, is what is what is the repercussion for illegally not giving notice to clear out a homeless camp? There's no repercussions. It's just like people shrug, and it's like, oh well, they violated the ordinance. That's it. What do you do? Like, like that's that's kind of not good enough, right? I don't know. But um, I guess some of the things that were in that Councilman Arthur, Councilman Hollander would like to sort of. Um, ensure that that 21-day uh, notice is, is held up. They'd like to sort of clean up the process so the city departments know what each other's are doing, um, whether that's public works or police, whether everybody's operating, you know, with the same plan. Uh, re requiring the council person in a district um, to, 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 to be notified so the council person can maybe come in and help those people. Uh, creating fines for those who damage or steal or destroy the property of, um, of unsheltered people in these camps. I think that's, I'd love to see that kind of punitive stuff and um, creating some kind of a policy around uh, a complaint policy to make sure that these people have their, their rights respected. I don't know. I mean, I know there's some stuff going on with this all around town. And I know Waterfront Park's been kind of a flashpoint for some of this. Um, what were you guys' thoughts? I, my fear is that, you know, if you say, create a fine, right? Create a fine for someone who damages, um, you know, a homeless camp, 
right or someone's property which i i totally understand you see like you know tents sort of get destroyed and things like that right and that's just not helpful um and of course but of course you you know you end up in this sort of weird politicking politicizing thing where you have one side that says well what about um, the damage that happens to the property right Mm -hmm. versus what happens to the damage of these people and you know i i worry that ultimately we're not really doing anything here i mean i think the idea of doing right by people means we find a way to help Mm -hmm. people in real ways um not just saying oh they can camp out here forever uh so you know but of course that takes resources it takes dollars and i think it comes back to we're unwilling to tax ourselves so we're not going to help anybody Um, it doesn't, all this feels like a bunch of just sides arguing and no real solutions to me. That's my take on it. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. It's a super complicated issue. And, uh, I I don't know. I have a hard time reconciling some of the stuff that I think about, about this, but it's, uh, you, I mean, at the base of it, you just have to look at these people who do not have shelter and remember that they are somebody's kid or parent or yeah. their, their person. Right. And, like, you know, start there. But, well, yeah, absolutely, right? You start there. I mean, people. If we care about people, that's the problem. We don't care about people in this country. We just don't. We say we do, but we don't. Um, so and there's go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. There's the um, you know a couple of weeks ago that it came out. You know what camps are being cleared? You know to make things look pretty for the Derby, and uh, it's it's an area across and around Wayside Mission um, downtown by the Interstate Overpass, uh, Liberty um, um, to Market, Jackson to Preston Streets. The other one is an encampment located at a, a, on a Dare Street at the foot of the Walking Bridge. Um, a Dare Street location like uh, over by Crittenden Drive. I guess that would be something that people coming out of the airport might see. Or there's are some hotels over there that maybe people staying for the Derby in those hotels over on Crittenden would um, be weirded out by the, the the encampment that's there, sort of um, by that that bridge. Um, but then you got you know like in response to this, you know I, you know folks are asking the spokesperson for resilience and community services. Uh, you know, what's up? And I mean, you know, to what you're saying, you know, the other side of the, the coin here, I think to what, a little bit to what you were talking about, the peoples that, that, that have different viewpoints about how we help people. Here's what, you know, is being said. A large encampment at Jackson Jefferson has created health and safety concerns, including a large amount of trash present on the sidewalks, defecation on the walls of the overpass, and tents are blocking the right of way for pedestrian traffic. So, I mean, I guess this is, you know, whether or not that stuff's true or, you know, whether that's sort of like being blown out of proportion about about what's going on. I mean, obviously, you got a lot of people like living in an encampment without plumbing or without services. You know, it's probably not going to be completely orderly and in good shape. But is it the idea that like you don't have trash cans around and you don't have porta potties around? Does that that means like it's okay just to like kind of bust these people up and, and have them go nowhere, who knows where with right, no plan right. and with no support. Yeah. That's not good enough. Right. Like no, what's the plan and what's the support, but and you, let's talk a little bit of, yeah, what, go ahead. I was going to just say, you'd probably, you'd save a lot of money. I mean, thinking about some of those places, the overpasses, right. Um, that are basically, I don't know who owns that land. Right. But it's basically under the I 65, uh, it would cost probably a, a lot less to just put Porta Johns there, you totally. know, than totally. to go in and it, take it, the resources to clear it out. And I would say too that that's talking happening. about these. So talking about these costs, I think Patrick Pima, you got some good stuff to say after we take a quick little break about how expensive it is to do this kinds of clearing of these things. Sorry to sorry to step on you there. I just wanted to get to our break before we got too much deeper into the, into the next segment. But if, if you're listening here to Art FM to WXOX 97.1. You're going to be thrilled to check out the next hour of fantastic music 
uh, coming from Evan Wilson and The Vibe, making an effort to spread consciousness through music. Every week for an hour, we dive into an expansive, Evan dives into an expansive selection of funk, soul, reggae, and world music, celebrating culture, life, and paying homage to amazing artists from the past and present. Always a diverse collection of tunes to groove to and put a smile on your face every Wednesday right here on Art FM at 5 p.m. Uh, seems applicable for the rainy season that we are about to enter here in Louisville. So uh, more than half of flood-related drownings occur when someone drives into hazardous water, according to the CDC and the National Weather Service. To avoid death or injury, listeners are advised to turn their car around if they encounter water on the road that appears six inches or deeper, or if you can't tell how deep it is. Be especially cautious at night when it is harder to recognize these dangers. Patrick, sorry to cut you off there. Oh, no. No worries. Um, I can't remember what I was going to talk about there, but we were going to talk about the expenses of, like, remove like clearing tent cities and things like that so uh maybe i'll just jump in there um there was a city lab bloomberg a bloomberg city lab uh piece that came out by Kristen caps that was entitled the high cost of clearing tent cities and i think this came out just a couple days ago yeah but it was one of the first reports that they knew of or i know of of its kind that actually kind of looked at tent cities and kind of the issues and how much it was costing cities to actually remove them. And I mean, I was just kind of blown away that they, they, they looked at a couple of cities. I think it was Chicago, San Jose, Tacoma, and Houston were the main cities that they were studying or following. And uh, just like in, for an idea, like Chicago paid $3.6 million to respond to encampments in 2019. Mm. And, What's even crazier is San Jose, which is much smaller. They paid eight point six million dollars in that same year, and it's what are just, those expenses? Uh, well, I'll give you, quest- I'll give you an ahead. idea. Like, so I saw some of the stuff, like in the article from Kristen Caps um, in, in City Lab that came out a couple days ago about this issue. Like, it, so Echo Park, they were trying to clear out about one hundred and seventy tents in Echo Park in Los Angeles. And basically, they had a huge amount of police, and they had, I guess, people from Public Works or some city agency trying to literally fence off the entire park, like, from everyone, like, just to as they were trying to clear this out. So think about all of the fencing that you would need to, you know, keep people out of a park. I mean, a bunch of protests, people protesting. The people that aren't just houses people, but people that are like, hey, let these people just chill here because they need a place to go. Think about all the extra hours of police time. Think about the bulldozers or whatever you need. You know, think about the whatever it costs to throw something into the dump, which isn't free. Like, all of, I think all of these things add up. Yeah. So yeah, you can one, spend that money, money in, in much better ways. Go right. ahead. Yeah, and there, I mean, a lot of the funding, is because of the what they're using the money for isn't coming from like higher up federal or state level stuff. So it's a lot of city funds that are going towards these things. And it was like, they, they mentioned that cities in the study paid between 1600 and $6,200 per unsheltered person per year in wow. 2019. Yeah. And like, I think a lot of people don't realize that just because like the city does something internally based on their own decision-making doesn't mean that that's like free because the city does it like th- those police that are clearing out the camp need to be paid. Like the people like that have the little like Bobcat thing that's scraping all the stuff out. That guy needs to be paid and the time for the Bobcat needs to be paid and the gas for the Bobcat needs to be paid. And I mean, all like, and, and then the cleanup afterwards, like that costs money, you know? So it's like these things, um, like I think you're saying, Patrick, they get really, really expensive really quick. And, I think, you know, I, I know for sure that, you know, folks like um, Councilperson Arthur is thinking about this. Um, I know that you yourself, Patrick, are thinking about um, these issues in terms of what can, you know, what can be done that's better than this? Because there most certainly is a better way um, and there has to be uh, a better way. And I think one thing that that, that popped up this, um, gosh, this weekend was a story in the, in the Philadelphia Inquirer that um, is looking at, um, oh, actually, this was sorry. It's from last month in the Philly Inquirer from uh, Alfred Librano, talking about working actually with homeless people 
to design spaces for homeless people. And I mean, this seems like kind of like a no brainer, you know, like, like we, we work with all kinds of folks in communities to design spaces uh, with those people um, in, in their own neighborhoods and blocks. Like, why aren't we doing this with uh, a population of people that, that really needs all the support that we can give them? So this was a, a cool story. This is, this is kind of coming from your hometown, uh, Patrick Pima. I was wondering um, what you thought about it and what you thought the potential was for these kinds of kind of pocket parks that, that serve and work with homeless people here in Louisville as kind of a solution uh, to this issue of just, you know, clearing out uh, the places sort of violently um, where these people find themselves. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I, I just am always amazed that there's so many great um, prototyping and testing of ideas in, in Philadelphia with the built environment and different social issues like this. So I'm always happy to see more stuff like this happening. But as far as the pocket park thing, I mean, it's, it's great. You're talking about, you know, a lot of homeless people aren't welcome in parks. And, you know, just to sit down and take a rest, you know, sleep for a little bit um, and to be able to, like, turn that upside down and be like, we're going to create a place where you can and are welcome. And also, we're going to think about the design of the space to maximize, like, the utility for you. Like, what what do you need? And, yeah. you know, one of the things I did see in there that was interesting because I work with some folks that do this kind of stuff, but they weren't going to include bathrooms in there. And I think it might've been like a financial issue, but, uh, I think that that seems like one of the, uh, one thing that needs to be addressed because every like sanitation and access to like places to use the bathroom should be like a human right and not something that only people with good, the means and stuff like that should be allowed to use. And it's just healthier for everybody if you don't have to deal with that stuff out in the open. So, I mean, that, that's something. But I love this idea, and I, I hope that I hope to talk with the people that uh, the Community Design Center is one of the organizations in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia. Yeah, that's that's working on this. So I'm hoping to talk with them soon uh, about this. And uh, I, if I get a chance, I might be going to Philly not too long from now. I'd like to go and check some of this out. I mean, this idea seems massive um for for really all cities definitely for louisville as we're like right now in the sort of midst of this um clearing out the camps uh, ahead of derby mindset but i mean you know some of the points in the story were interesting like the the, the park is going to be near this place called the sunday breakfast rescue mission what a what a great name like sunday breakfast is it, is it anything sound better than that um but you know like they're, they're like they interviewed like several hundred of the folks that um, or surveyed them and interviewed the folks that go to the mission and like out of all the parks that are near uh, this place and like a, like a, a huge radius of this mission, like only 10% of the, the uh, houseless people that were interviewed said that they even used the parks because of just like the deep, deep feelings of unwelcome that they get from city of Philadelphia staff, from people that are using those parks that um, are not in that same situation of homelessness. Like, you know, 90% of these people were, just don't even want to deal with the hassle they're going to get for trying to like chill in the park, a public space for a minute. And that's, that's kind of heartbreaking. And like you pile that on top of like um, hostile architecture. Um, <clears throat> and and you know, I think most people know or are learning, you know, about the, the hostile architecture of like, putting the bars over the benches so you can't lay down on them or putting spikes um, on surfaces so people can't sit down there. Like that's like, like making basically making sitting and, and lounging, not a possibility in public spaces, which is an awful practice. I don't know if you guys have any art, hope, uh, any good examples of hostile architecture or any thoughts on that. I mean, we've talked about it in the, sorry, we've talked about it in the past, uh, just about the, it, by creating these spaces that try to keep homeless people or houseless people from unsheltered, from being able to relax and lay down and things like that, you're also making the parks less useful for everybody. And, yes. it's, you know, but I, one of the things that I thought was interesting in this article that was kind of horrifying was, and it wasn't necessarily architecture, but to get 
to keep the the unsheltered out of the park in West Palm Beach, Florida, they had speakers that were from starting at 10 p.m. until I guess early morning would be playing Baby Shark and raining taco songs like <laughs> on a loop. And it's oh, like man. you're all. I mean, that's terrible that you're doing that. And it's just I, right. I I mean, what? Like and my house like right it just keeps everybody out. <laughs> hey, back to your point, it just keeps it's bad for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we have to think about this in ways of like this sort of yes and, right? This is the, I think this is a good immediate solution, right? But then we have to think about the conditions that sort of cause homelessness, right? Oh, yeah. And the services that people need, yeah. starting as babies you know is starting as kids in this country you know uh, having done the design build stuff having worked in the restaurant business i've worked with people who um have you know they've you know whether it's a dishwasher or a landscape laborer or something right who's just he who didn't have the advantages of maybe someone with a a close-knit family that was sort of like you know sort of giving this individual the skills they need as they grow up right and there are a lot of people like that i've I've worked with um with kids from you know local organizations in town and just thought you know uh these kids you know we're i'm trying to give them a job but they don't even know how to get to work like Mm -hmm. they don't even know how to get up on time they don't they and and they're just they didn't have someone teaching them those life skills, right? And so you think about all those kinds of things that sort of build towards someone becoming homeless. And and that's what I mean when I say, like, we don't care about people in this country, right? Because we're not really investing in people, all people. And um, and I've seen, I've seen some of the folks from, again, from some programs, kids from programs. And it's like, you know, one – you know, like to come work for me, they had to get up at like four thirty or five a.m. to try and get on a bus just yeah, to get to right. an eight, you know, to an eight a.m. job. It's just like this kid is set up to fail right mm-hmm. from the start, and mm-hmm. you know, of course, he's not gonna last or survive here at this job because it's too. We've put too many hurdles in front yeah. of him. Yeah. So I mean, you got uh, you got to look upstream, and and homelessness is uh, a symptom of capitalism. You know, this is yeah the, the yeah. winner take all system, yep. and you know the continuing ridiculousness of uh, a, a certain political persuasion to not invest those pennies early, which result in huge dividends later. You know, like let, let's not put the the pennies into early childhood education but let's put all of the pennies into big police staffs you know like incarceration yeah it's it's it doesn't make any sense and it's it's totally backwards uh but hey that's where we are and we call it america there was another stat in this philly inquirer piece um on this um interesting you know sort of new initiative to design this park with the homeless folks um in this neighborhood in philly which this wouldn't I thought was really indicative of where we are. I'm sure this also brings in a lot of personal politics, but he's got this um, statistic from a survey of more than 60,000 parks and recreation professionals. And um, this is a a survey done by the National Recreation and Park Association. So 60,000 people that are like park directors um, in communities uh, across the United States or like high level people uh, working for public parks Half of these 60,000 people look at homeless people as a nuisance that impedes other people's enjoyment of park resources. Like, I know we can believe that because half of the world voted for, half of the nation voted for Trump, but like, that's just, this is like a public serving thing. And people that are in a public office, like, that have the view that, have the view like this, you know, like, this is, this is a part of the problem. And, and it's also, you know, I imagine a lot of people that go to parks um, have this view about homeless folks as well. But we need to, like, you know, buck up and, and figure out how to, how to do better and maybe sort of creating spaces, uh, particularly for um, unsheltered people and 
in ways that help them feel comfortable. And maybe if they feel, maybe they might feel more comfortable around, you know, um, being in places that are specifically designed for them. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't, they shouldn't be, you know, welcome in, in, in all spaces, um, in all public spaces as well. So um, I don't know. This is uh, something that I hope we see some movement on this year. And Hopefully, it would be nice to see those dollars too, right? Those dollars that go to sort of, up, you know, sort of taking a camp and sort of uprooting it yeah. to like taking that money and like come in and give everybody haircuts and give them a yeah. place to shower and yeah. give them some things they need and, you know, make sure they know where they can go if they need help with something, give them vaccinations, like take that money and do something productive positive with it because i think through those kinds of positive interactions that you know i mean you someone gives you a positive interaction right and and it makes you feel good you start you think differently right so if we treat these people like people yeah um, this this also reminds me like this like constant clearing out of the camps and re-clearing out of the camps it kind of reminds me of that like repetitive loss stuff um, with like homes being flooded where it's like you keep people keep rebuilding a flooded home in the floodplain and then they keep getting um, insurance payouts or disaster relief payouts for rebuilding back into the place where they knew that they were eventually going to get flooded again. I mean, it seems like the same thing with the homeless camps like, oh, let's go drop uh, 350 grand on clearing his homeless camps out. OK, let's go do it over here okay, let's do it year after year after year instead of like putting that money together and making things better. And this is, this gets to the real, right? Is it about prettying up the city and clean? Bring it, I'm bringing it all back around from that new album to clean thing right here, Patrick Henry. Uh, is it about clean, the look of clean city? Or is it about actually using city government and the power of the people to help all the people? Like, and, and I think that's, that's where we need to get with, with these funds and we need to stop being okay with all this money being spent, um, to, to disrupt people that are just trying to survive day to day. I've read so much stuff on <clears throat> lately about, uh, unsheltered uh, situations, but so I can't remember where it was, but I, there were some places that were actually paying the people that were in these encampments to keep it clean. Oh, like yeah. here's some money you know it's like one of the issues with the encampments people are worried about needles and things like that but if the people that are there are being paid to you know a, a nominal amount in the grand scheme of how much it costs to actually deal with like clearing and all that kind of stuff they, they were actually cleaning them up and making it safe and having like the port johns and things like that there uh i mean there's there are ways to get to do this better and I think that we could be some, you know, why don't, why don't we try to do something? Louisville needs points. to get on this. That's a great place to end. This is, this is the vision for, for where Louisville needs to be here. Hey, check us out at underscore city state uh, to, to get in touch with us, to provide um, any kind of comments or questions. Thank you to the smacks uh, for our fantastic theme music. And we'll see you all next week. All right, you guys be good. See you later. Peace.